just started every time we were in town just collaging and you know putting grabbing the local outdoor magazine cutting things out that we were experiencing and he would watercolor a lot we would have or like I had a bunch of friends sign it or you know leave a a mountain rule and that's actually really cool to look back at and some of the people it was only they were only people who I met in passing yet they still left their little note in my book and it's fun to relive you know it brings you back to the moment where you met them mm-hmm. and what you were doing Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Jukebox, known off trail as Devin Everett. She started her through hiking adventures on the Appalachian Trail in 2018. In this episode, she reminisces about hiking with Lyme disease, crazy food cravings, which inadvertently started a black market in honey stingers and stokes a bit of gear anxiety as she prepares for the PCT, which she literally started this first week of May. Definitely say hi if your paths cross. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Jukebox. Yes, hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for reaching out. Uh, I love, I love hearing everybody's stories. It, it inspires. Yeah, that's amazing. Perfect. Thank you for, you know, reaching back out and setting this up. It's awesome. I'm excited to, to chat. You're, you're going to tell all the gory details? <laughs> if you want them, I've got them. <laughs> oh man, it it was an adventure, huh? Yeah, gory details. Well, I think the goriest of all starts with the swollen knee. Um, you know, I think there are so many ups and downs throughout the trail, and you either you you, know, you can get injured and fall down, or you can mm-hmm. keep moving. And I did my best to keep moving, so. I woke up, I think, on um, on the Franconia Notch yeah, at the sunrise, and my knee was so swollen, and I was determined. I think there was at least two days before we would hit a town. I was like, I can do this. I'm going to keep pushing through. And it's spun up to the size of a grapefruit. Like, it was really, really wow. swollen. Yeah, and I had it before, so I have Lyme disease, and that's actually how I found out that I had Lyme disease. And that's a story for, you know, a few minutes down the line. But okay. yes, yeah, so <laughs> so I'm hiking with this swollen knee and I get to the point, like maybe a day later where I can barely bend my knee. I'm walking so slowly. I'm hiking with two other gals and they are being so patient with me. And the next day I wake up and it's, the swelling has drained into my calf. So now I can like barely point or flex my foot. Like I have no control over that leg from my knee down because it's just so swollen and the muscles won't engage. Oh man. And yeah, it was brutal. And then I ended up like everything that I would kick or if I would just like 
just brush by a rock, it would puncture my skin immediately because there was so much pressure from the fluid buildup. So it was a mess. I had several cuts. I still have the scars that are trying to heal from the swollen knee. Um, and eventually, I, I forget how many days later, but it just went away. Thank goodness. So I had the, the remains of the cuts and bloody areas to take care of as we hiked on. But that was probably the worst of it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, looking back, it doesn't feel like that was such a big deal. I know in the moment I was like, am I going to be able to finish this? How far into it was it? Oh, that was on the Franconia Notch. So we were pretty close to being done. Um, and going into the hike, I was actually, the biggest concern for me was my knee swelling up because that was the only injury I've ever had or had to deal with. And I know in the Smokies, like right in the beginning, I, the, the group I was with, we were just kind of going a little bit too hard and we all ended up in knee braces. (laughs) <laughs> and it was so sad. Just like one by one, we would pick them up every time we were in town. It was really pathetic. Uh, we looked really goofy too. But that happened. And I think I started altering my gait because I was yep. worried about hurting my knee further. And that that led to three stress fractures, which I didn't find out I had until January this year. So I knew my foot was in pain. I knew uh, something was wrong, but I also found ibuprofen and that was my best friend. (laughs) Vitamin I. (laughs) Uh, Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think that's every hiker's best friend. Uh, Down the line, I found, um, what is it? Bayer, I think is the other one. And that has caffeine in it. So (laughs) even better. (laughs) quickly became, I know, right? They're so bad. So anyway. I was in so much pain for a very long time. And then when I was, I came back to Pennsylvania, which is home for me because two of my friends were getting married. And that weekend I went in for an x-ray and they said it was fine. And so, and they told me the next, the best thing to do for it would be to rest as they thought it would be tendonitis or something. And we, the side story is that I was hiking to raise money for this local independent school for learning disabled kids. Mm -hmm. And we had this competition, this challenge going that next week of hiking 200 miles in 10 days to get to Blue Mountain in Pennsylvania to meet up with the school and all the kids and celebrate this like somewhat of a halfway point, like a little bit past the halfway point. And uh, I was with uh, two other guys hiking for this cause. And we... (laughs) did the math wrong and it ended up being like 220 miles in nine days. And it was the early July time frame in Pennsylvania, which is brutal. It's so hot and so humid. And it was probably the most miserable stint on trail. Yeah. And anyway, so we were committed to this challenge and I didn't want to take a break. And I have a little bit of a competitive mentality about life. Just a little? <laughs> Just a little. Oh, and that got me to Katahdin, though. I mean, I came home and I was I know something's wrong with my foot. I can barely walk on it. And it takes minutes for it to warm up to actually put pressure on it out of bed. And so I went in for an MRI and then it came back that I had three different stress fractures throughout my foot. And I've been in a boot since. <laughs> but you're supposed to be doing the PCT this year. So how is uh, that I, supposed to work? Oh, that's such a golden question. I... <laughs> 
I'll pretty much be in the boot until I leave on May 3rd. So I've been wearing the boot, putting no pressure on it. And next month I'll be able to start incorporating some pressure on it. I've been stretching and massaging it and using different supplements and just praying to the foot gods that somehow it gets better. And I don't know if it's mental or not, but I think it's improving. (laughs) So, you know, come May 3rd, I'll be in some trail runners hitting the border of Mexico and Sandy or California ready to go. So you'll, you'll test out the theory. Yes. Yep. Come hell or high water, I will get there. <laughs> so basically they were saying, cause you got off, you finished the trail with the stress fractures, but didn't know it was stress fracture. And I take it, it just because you had continued to use it, it wasn't healing. Yes. I assume that that's what happened. I mean, I just kept hiking and I didn't slow down. Um, and I'm sure that's part of the reason why it's taking a little bit longer to heal. Mm-hmm. that's just my assumption. But I mean, that I hiked on it for so long and build up a lot of, I don't know if scar tissue would be the pr- appropriate word, but damage around the actual wound itself. So it's just yeah. taking a little bit of extra time to, you know, mend itself back together. Just in time for you to test it a little. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I told myself crossed. that this trail this time around it'll be a slower pace I'm not I don't have anything to prove my ego is kind of out the window now that I've done the first one and I know that I can do it there's not a race and I just want to have fun and relax a little bit and I think it's easier for me to see that now having gone through it and have had time to reflect on it and you know I'm sure I'll hit some big mile days but really Mm -hmm. what's important to me is to stop and enjoy the the side trails and the people and the the views and I haven't spent much time out there. So a lot of it will be new to me, which is really exciting. Right. Now that that statement is highly ironic, considering I did see your Trek blog. And one of your takeaways tips was hike your own hike. Yes, I know. (laughs) And I think that's something you like, you learn along the way. It's so easy to say that out loud. Like, yes, I'm going to hike my own hike. And then when it comes down to it, you know, there were, I was hiking with certain people that I didn't want to leave behind. And I I think the day to day is when that resonated with me the most versus the broader picture. Like if somebody was pacing faster than me during the day, it was easier for me to slow down or speed up according to what I wanted to do but I still wanted to maintain the mileage that said person was doing, but it's definitely easier said than done. Mm -hmm. There were nights where I had to camp alone because that's what I wanted to do or because my foot was hurting uh, or I hiked ahead because I wanted to, when would I have hiked ahead? Hmm. I don't know that I actually ever hiked ahead. Oh yeah. I, I hiked ahead one night. Because I wanted to get in town the next day with less miles. So I hiked ahead like five miles. So I would have a shorter spin into town. And there were only a few occasions. But, you know, I listened to what I wanted to do, whether it was wild or crazy. It was, you know, making me happy. And I was I was doing what was best for me and my body. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I know it is ironic. Trust me. I know. Because it's <laughs> it's so hard to hold on to that when you're in the moment. You're like, okay, I just want to go, go, go. Or... I want to like catch up to these people. And sometimes it's literally a make or break mile. And you're like, I can do this. Or, oh, I wish I wasn't doing this. But when you say make or break mile, what do you mean by that? Yeah. A mile can be all that separates you from somebody for so long. 
I remember I was trying to, uh, my friend Shred and I were trying to catch up to Peaches, somebody who we met early on. And we knew she was close because her social media stories were lining up with our social media stories. And we just, we didn't know where exactly she was. And for two days, maybe three, I think it was just two days, we kept running into this other girl, Puff. And we would randomly have lunch with her and she was kind of quiet and kept to herself to just eat and then head on. And little do we find out a few days later, we run into Peaches and she's been hiking with Puff this whole time. And that's, that's just the minor gap that can separate you from seeing somebody for the rest of the trail. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's really, if you want to stay with somebody, it's really important to push yourself a little bit or slow down a little bit, because if you lose them, you really never know when you'll see them again, whether it's their pace or trail magic or injury or weather. And I think that that's what would push me to hike outside of my own hike of, Hey, you want these things. And, you know, you normally like to go these many miles a day, but maybe you can push yourself a little bit harder to catch up to to these people that you want to be with. You were were prioritizing an experience with these people over something else, essentially, or hiking your own pace or something like that. Definitely. I found for me that the community was such a large part of my experience. I can break down my trail into three different tramlies. And that's how I most broadly remember the experience. And I think that they each got me through a different part of my journey within myself and on the trail. Uh, You know, you experience different challenges and different, you know, different highs and lows Mm -hmm. in each section of the trail. However, you want to break that down. Uh, And for me, the people that I met along each section of that journey really played a pivotal role in, in the outcome in me getting to Katahdin. And I was fortunate to start with my best friend and he had to get off trail about three weeks before we finished for a new job. And I ended up getting to finish with two, with three people who I loved so dearly. And I met on trail. We didn't know each other before trail. We became family. And now we're starting, two of them are starting the trail um, with me in May. And that, just that sentence alone, like finding your community and finding people who resonate with you at a core level of this is important to me in life. And this isn't important to me in life and can have those difficult conversations because they're in a difficult situation. You know, they're putting themselves out there just as much as you are, you're seeing each other's highs and lows. And there's, you know, there's no hiding from it. It's just you, the woods and the other people. And uh, I think that that created the strongest bond with humans that I've had so far. And Mm -hmm. so to push myself a little bit out of my comfort zone to go faster, to go slower, you know, to, to compromise part of my hike to be with these people is what's most important. And you know, don't get me wrong, I will spend a night alone, or I'll hike ahead to get to a town, or if there's something, a priority in my life that I want to do, I'll do it. But in the grand scheme of things, if there's a way that I can make it work to hang out with the people that I'm like most enjoying spending my time with, I will absolutely do that. Yeah. When you were saying, staying with these different trail families and stuff like that, did that primarily mean literally for the most part hiking with people throughout the day or did that mean 
setting up a plan so that you guys kind of were lunching together or dinner and sleeping in the same kind of area or getting into town at the same time and that more broadly staying together? That's a good question. I think it's a mix, honestly. We, so the first section, the first tramway, I had myself, my two friends that I started with, and then we met two Australians who were really cool. And that was kind of our trail family. And then this other guy added on and we would hike together in different like mini groups throughout the day, depending upon our pace. Like I know I can think of the two guys were really fast and they would hike ahead. And then the rest of us would kind of find our little groups. There were days when we would plug in and listen to podcasts or music, but we would always end up at camp together. Like that was our goal. So we would set, here's where we're meeting to spend the night and we'll get there at our own pace. And it, it naturally fell into little groups. We most often would meet up for lunch and take a break. So the leader would, I guess, pick that spot, chill out mm-hmm. for a little bit. We'd like to, I think it was a mental game, pick a point like just a mile or two over the halfway point. So we knew we had less than half to do and that changed our mentality a whole bunch. But yeah, we would meet up for lunch and then again, just naturally get into a formation either all together if the fast people are feeling lonely or slow that minute. Hmm. And then, you know, if we're feeling like picking it up a little bit, we'll, we'll catch up. I know for the whole month of June, I was hiking with 10 people. Our group was huge. Yeah. And we all, I don't know how we made it work, but we did. We got hotel rooms together. We went to brewery together. We would always start the morning together and meet up at night. And in that case, there were definitely smaller groups that would hike together. But I do have photos of us, like one long tramway line hiking all together. Um, which was fun. We would, you know, we would blast Disney music and sing the tunes to get us the last few miles into camp. If it was a hard day, we'd wake up early and have breakfast together and just chat. We, it was, they were really great memories. And then the last group was a little bit smaller. And I think the last section of trail was when I spent the most time solo hiking, especially in the mornings. We would just set out and do our own thing. And that's when I listen to the most podcasts and the most music or just the most silence without any conversations with humans. But that mm-hmm. was also the group that we would meet up after we meet up for lunch. And then after lunch, we'd also spend a lot of time chatting. So I had some of my deepest conversations with those people, but I also spent a lot of time alone. So I think it, it changes depending upon who you're with and their personality. But the people that I was with, we always made a point to meet up at some point in the day most definitely in the evening. Right. And just kind of reconnect and make sure that everybody's still good and safe and, and talk about your experiences for the day, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. When you had that mix of, of sort of quieter mornings and then more chatty afternoons, did you find yourself doing a lot of, of kind of processing in the morning and then talking it out in the afternoons or was it more like storytelling or just conversation, just general conversation? Yeah. Good question. I think, I think it was a mix again. So I definitely had more time to process. I really loved listening to podcasts because it would trigger different questions to ask myself and thinking points for me to really delve into and get to know myself a little bit better. 
uh, and I also the quiet time was just nice to process whatever was going on internally, like in my life, in my personal life, in my home life, what's happened to me over the past few years, and really work through the deep stuff because, you know, you're just out there alone. You have all this time and all you're doing is walking. So it's a great opportunity to go deep and ask yourself the questions. And, you know, you can't hide from it. Even if you want to let it go, it's going to like come right back up. But then it's, I guess it would depend on the person. Sometimes we have really in-depth personal conversations around our past and our home lives. Other times, trying to think of a good example other times we would talk about you know day-to-day things that were going on or somebody would ask a question and that would get us going on on our opinions and just you know conversations to pass the time and other times we would sing to musicals and just create our own music um is that where the the trail name came from (laughs) no I have this thing where people will say something and it makes me think of a song and I alter (laughs) the the lyrics to like whatever that person said and like my songs are very like there's a wide range and so somebody called it jukebox and then somebody else did and it just kind of stuck but by no means do I have a singing voice or you know I just enjoy it and I think it makes me smile and makes other people giggle so right it's good <laughs> you're, you're basically it sounds like you're basically Weird Al Yankovic Yankovicine songs <laughs> you're the first person to say that but I love it so I guess, you know, in the in the scheme of trail names, Jukebox versus Weird Al, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> yes, I'll keep it. Well, I started with another trail name. I started with Four Step, and I hated having to explain the backstory to it. I didn't hate it, but it just makes, wasn't the best thing to talk about the first time you meet somebody. Mm-hmm. And so eventually people were like, we could change it to Jukebox, and that just, that just stuck. <laughs> So, so the change of trail name was from people in your group understanding that you were getting annoyed with the name that had been given to you or that you had accepted? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I think it was the, the Sky 007 first was like, you know, if you don't want to talk about you peeing every time you meet somebody, <laughs> we can probably change your name. And I was like, okay, I don't mind it, but I'm not opposed to that idea. And <laughs> <laughs> someone a while back teaches actually called me jukebox and and then that's what 007 was thinking mm-hmm. and so you know one person and then two people and it just stuck and and that became the the story that became the story yeah <laughs> how like with your group with the groups that you were doing how many miles were you guys generally doing yeah uh we were Going pretty quickly. So I finished in about four months and a week. And I think we were pacing probably an average of 20 to 22 miles a day. In the beginning, you know, you start slower. So mm-hmm. 12. And then we picked up our pace and started doing, you know, between 20 and 25 a day. And then once we got into the whites, it was a reality check. And we went back down to like 15 a day. And then we were pushing some bigger miles towards the end. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say around 
around 22, maybe sounds good. I was gonna say, so it doesn't sound like there were really any concessions for everybody's knee injury or your, your knee, your foot, your. (laughs) Yeah, no, the only time we gave into an injury was when my friend Shred's knee was really hurting. We took an extra zero day in hot springs, which was amazing and so much fun. But yeah, I don't really think we slowed down much. We just kind of kept pushing through. Um, I know some people had like toenail injuries or blisters or stomach bugs. Yeah, other like knee and shoulder stuff happening. But we just kind of kept moving on. We barely took zero days towards the end. The one girl we were hiking with was a, a diehard Nero person. So only hiking a few miles into town, but still mm-hmm. getting some miles in for that day. So we would do that. But yeah, I guess it was just like a more of a go, go, go mentality. Yeah. The one thing that I can see attributing to that is the first thing being hiking for this fundraising event was really pushing us to get to certain places by a certain time to meet up with everyone. And then the other thing was uh, the girl we were hiking with, Puff, she had a wedding that she had to be back in England for by the 3rd of September. And so we all wanted to finish together and we ended up, you know, altering our miles to get that done. So, you know, that kind of having a deadline makes mm-hmm. you, you go until you're there. Yeah. You sort of, you got to do it. If if you don't, if yeah. you don't be consistent, then you're going to go up and down a lot in terms of the mileage. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Now, yeah. I mean, in terms of the injury, I mean, obviously you had the knee thing, which was sort of coming from the Lyme disease. Did you have any other issues relating to the Lyme disease that that were affecting you on trail? And, and what did you do potentially to help alleviate that or to hold it yeah, at bay? Yeah, good even? question. I think the only other thing in terms of physical pain was my joints. And that's something that stays with me pretty often. And I, and I think this can also relate to a lot of through hikers too, though. But mm-hmm. it would take me a while to actually put pressure on my feet. My big toe joints were in a lot of pain. And it was, you know, at this point, it's hard to differentiate. Was that that pain or was that the stress fracture pain? Right. Or just the general hiking everyday pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Living the through hiker life. The other thing was my finger joints would hurt a lot too. Um, and that wasn't as big of a deal because you're just carrying trekking poles and it was easy to forget about that. Mm-hmm. The, the other, the other symptoms that I experienced from Lyme was more mental. It, like there was some fatigue and the anxiety and depression that I get stem a lot from the Lyme disease. So for me in my everyday life, avoiding certain foods is what helps me the most, like keep those symptoms at bay. Unfortunately, when I was on trail, I did not do a good job at like altering my diet because all I wanted to do was consume sugar and that's all I consumed. And on trail, it's a little easier because you metabolize everything so quickly because you're just moving your body constantly. So I think the hardest part for me was the transition from trail to off trail when you still have that hiker diet mentality and you're definitely addicted to sugar by this point. And you're trying to wean off of it and realizing that your body doesn't process it as quickly anymore because you're not hiking 20 miles a day. <laughs> yeah. 
So for me, I think that's when my body kind of went into shock. But, on uh, you know, I had to make some adjustments from on trail. And going into the PCT this year, I'm really hoping to have better control over what I'm eating. And it's so easy to say that now when I'm not starving every minute. But mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to, uh, like, eat foods with less like granola bars and protein bars with less sugar and to try and stay away from dairy completely. And I already avoid gluten and that really helps as well. So it's just avoiding things that cause inflammation in the body and avoid things that would feed the spirochetes or the, you know, the lime in the body. And those seem to help me most in my outside of hiking life. And I, you know, will try my best to incorporate that into my on trail life keep the to keep the injuries down because that knee that could have you know been the end of my journey and if it happens again like I don't know the outcome of that so I need to be really mindful and take care of the body that's carrying me all these miles so maybe I'll do a better job of that and the body that has to carry you after all the miles yeah yeah and I, I definitely admit that I'm a little stubborn when it comes to that. And I tell myself now, (laughs) I tell myself now that if it happens again, I would take a longer break and really allow the injury to heal. But I I can see myself on trail not listening. So hopefully I'll have people around me who help to keep me in line. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, hopefully everything will be great and, you know, no injuries and happy trails and all that good stuff. Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see what it looks like in the Sierras this year because we have, I'm, I'm in LA and for the month, for the month of February and the first half of March, we have been getting rains almost every week, like for a couple of days every week. So I can only imagine what the Sierras look like right now. So good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know there's actually a post in this like Trek group that was saying these, the snowfall is almost double what it was before mm-hmm. and you should strongly consider doing a flip or, you know, skipping that section and coming back to it. And the people that I'm starting with, we've strongly discussed our options in that way. And we're just thinking like, we'll take it day by day. And once we get there, we can reevaluate and, you know, there's no reason to risk our lives to just get through that section in a, timely matters so we do it as a through hike like we're we're happy to go and flip if we need to or you know skip a section so yeah i know right lots of snow it'll be interesting and that's a whole new element for me personally because i don't have any snow on the at <laughs> yeah so it'll be and, a de- fun adventure. and depending upon how long it takes you could also hit snow up in upper washington too yeah absolutely uh, or a snowstorm i should say more likely Oh, yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll be done before that. Fingers crossed. But I guess you never know the weather these days. I don't know. I know the weather's been kind of psychotic, to tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining that today is beautiful. 67 degrees, partly nice. sunny. There's a little bit too much humidity, but, you know, it's. I'm happy. It could be worse. I'm happy for the change. It could be worse. <laughs> yeah. Now, other than the the stuff that you were doing with, dealing with for the Lyme disease and the knee, and then your your stress fractures, did you have really any other kind of injuries or or issues out there? Uh, I 
I, I was sick for maybe two days on trail. And it consisted of a lot of uh, diarrhea and mm-hmm. stomach pains. And it passed. I don't know if it was because of bad filtered water or just dehydration or eating something that wasn't good. But I was sick on trail for two days. And that's no fun when you're going to the bathroom in the woods and like constantly no. stopping. And ugh. and then you have to eat this food that you're not totally excited about. <laughs> and you know it's going to hurt. Anyway, that was a tough moment. And I know a few people who had similar similar things go on. And the one walked right into, I think it was Damascus and took a few days off there to recover. So it's it's never fun being sick on trail, but I think a lot of people go through it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, but actually that, that brings up a question because you were talking about potentially water. I was looking yeah. at your stuff and you were doing, you were doing gravity. The gravity filtration system. Yeah, filtration on the AT, but now you've moved over to the Sawyer Squeeze. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I quickly changed. So I would have the gravity filter for maybe the first, like, oh, this is an interesting question. I don't know. I want to say like three weeks. Maybe it was a little bit longer than that, but it was awful. There were just so many pieces to put together and it took so much longer and it was just a pain in the butt compared to what everybody else was doing. So what had led you to do that in the first place? Because my lovely little sister, she hiked the John Muir Trail a couple years ago, and she told me that she hated the Sawyer so much, and she ended up like trading people a Snickers bar so that she could just use their gravity filter system, and uh, she loved it and like would never use the Sawyer again. And I think she ended up using the Mini, which is maybe why she had trouble and she was using it with a friend and I honestly, I don't know. And I haven't talked to her about it. It's an interesting thing to think about right now. Yeah. Because I ended up switching to the, I use my friend, I think it's called the Catadyne. I don't know. It's like, it's a bag and then the lid is more or less the filter and he loved it. He swore by it. It was really great. And he let me borrow that once I sent my um, gravity filter home. And so uh, by the time I was able to get something shipped to me, I bought the same filter. And I loved it for the first week and a half until it like punctured a bunch of holes. And I feel like it was just a bad, a bad one because nobody else has had that many holes punctured initially. And it started slowing down really quickly. I don't know. I just had a, I had a pretty rough experience with filters on the AT. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but all the people or two of the people that I finished the hike with had the Sawyer and swore by it. And, you know, after experiencing the trail and getting to see and use a few different filters, I realized that that's the one that I want to use. And it's, it's a rad company. And I really appreciate their not only their filter systems, but their um, insect repellent line. And I think that that's really sweet. And they're promoting, you know, the uh, prevention of Lyme disease and all the mosquito borne illnesses in other countries. And I just think, I think it's a cool company. It's a better product than I've experienced. And I'm very excited to say the least to have this system for the PCT. Nice. 
Yeah. Should be a, it should be a nice change. (laughs) So I just like picture myself setting up my uh, gravity filter system and like cringe a little bit. I'm like, what took you so long to get rid of that? Oh, but you were going to make it work in hell or high water. (laughs) I think it's that like little bit of competitiveness in me. My friend Shred on the trail who I started with, he was like, oh, why do you have that? Like, this is so much easier. And I was like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? My system works perfectly fine. (laughs) Delusion. (laughs) I know. It's so funny to look back and be like, what the hell? What the hell? But it's okay. I'm over that part now. (laughs) (laughs) You've moved on. I've moved on. Because you were talking about food and and you talked about food on in your blog as well. So I just wanted to really kind of touch base on that because you you were mentioning some very specific things about food and kind of your dietary plan and what your system kind of was for a day. And so I would love yeah. to kind of talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, before trail, was able to get a lot of products from different companies. And with, and I had this idea, this like stubborn again concept that I wanted to send myself all of my food because I had some, I had some free food, which would offset the cost of shipping. And I also wanted to make my own meals because I was, super paranoid about not being able to buy food in towns that we were going into. And I eat pescatarian and I try to, I avoid gluten and I try to avoid as much sugar and dairy as I can. So it was just, there were just these different things. I was so nervous. It was my first through hike. And I was like, if I have all of this set up, my dad was extremely helpful and committed to sending me boxes as I needed them. And so I prepackaged up kind of like five days worth of food and put it in a Ziploc bag and left it in boxes. So I was like, dad, I need five days worth of food or 10 days worth of food or whatever it would be. Send it here. And my day looked a little bit like I would wake up. If I was hungry, I would eat a bar. If I wasn't, I would wait a little bit. I'd grab all the snacks I wanted before lunch. And that was normally like three to five, depending upon my appetite and, you know, hiker hunger kind of comes in waves and the food I was eating was either really desirable or I was like, Oh, I could, (laughs) I could do without that. So uh, depending upon what I had and how hungry I was, I would snack every one to two hours. And that was as much a belly filling thing as a like mentally fulfilling thing, because it was so nice to be like, okay, you just have 20 more minutes and then you get to eat your gummies or you have an hour and then you get to eat your, your stroop waffle. And those things for me kept me going. What kind of snacks were you eating? Yeah, I had a lot of honey stingers. So I'm a honey stinger ambassador and I had a lot of stroop waffles and shoes from them. And a funny side story, my friend, so I would get these boxes and by like the middle towards the end, I just like couldn't really eat them that much because I was so, that's all I was eating. And so I would give a lot of them to the people I was hiking with. And apparently they were telling me that there was this like black market going on behind my back about like, they would give you like, oh, what flavors did you get this week? Or like, you want to drink? And I would just 
giggles so hard every time they told me that. So yeah, so shrimp waffles were fantastic. Those chews were really great. And I would sometimes lather up my stroop waffle with a bunch of peanut butter. And I kind of felt like I was in the honey bun tribe. You know, they always mm-hmm. are just eating honey buns covered in peanut butter. And I would also eat a lot of granola bars, uh, red bar, R-E-D-D um, bars. They were my favorite. They, I don't really love dates or like lar bars and, uh, cliff bars really upset my stomach and I try to avoid them just because I think they have, I don't, I don't know what it is, but they upset my belly a little bit. And so I just found this red bar, which has really great ingredients and it has a little caffeine in it, which I was, oh, I loved that in the morning and I'm only on trail too. Now that I think about it, I was, I'm not really a caffeine person outside of trail, but anything to get you going. So I have Absolutely. a red bar. I have a red bar for breakfast and then snack on a shrimp waffle, snack, snack on some gummies and then maybe trail mix or just a certain type of nut. And then I'd have lunch and lunch in the beginning looked like coconut wraps with, I started eating tuna packets and salmon packets. And after the first like three weeks to a month, I just couldn't even look at them anymore. So luckily my dad came to the rescue and he got a bunch of like hummus packets. They're, I think it's called wild to go. And there's some brand out there that makes individually wrapped hummus and it was perfect. It didn't need to be refrigerated. Yeah, it didn't. And and uh, to be honest, I packed out like a container of hummus before and had it over the course of like two or three days. So I but mean, I yeah, it was fine. I mean, I'm I'm no doctor or you know dietitian, <laughs> but <laughs> I, it worked for me. It wasn't making you sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll say that. So yeah, so I would have some type of wrap. I would either have like hummus or fish with I packed out nooch nutritional yeast and I like sprinkled turmeric and black pepper in there and I would put that on there maybe some mustard or I would go the more sweet route and do some type of granola with peanut butter and maybe honey and that was fantastic I loved it until I got really sick of those wraps so eating them every day and so I just switched to either another type of wrap or chips um and then I would snack again after lunch before dinner, but never a lot because I was pretty full from that lunch. So again, it was maybe some more chews or another stroop waffle or some type of granola bar, you know, whatever other snacks I had in there. I ate a lot of Snickers bars too. Um, I and then see how for- sugar was out of your diet. Oh my gosh, it was the worst. <laughs> As I relive this, I'm like, oh my goodness, you ate so much sugar, but it's what keeps you going. And I say that I need to find alternatives and I'm, you know, I'm okay to eat some, some of the things, but I just don't need it to be part of every single thing I'm eating. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then for dinner, I had this homemade oatmeal that I made. So I blended up some oats so that they would absorb water more quickly because I did cold soak. I didn't have a stove. Right. Um, and so I blended up some oats and I put chia seeds and flax seeds and coconut flakes. And then I had three different flavors of protein powder. So I would, you know, put one flavor in the bag, but I would have options. So it kind of like switched it up a little bit. And 
honestly, I think that's what kept me going for most of the trail. Like that has such a, just, there were so many nutrients in that and it was really filling and the protein was really great. And I looked forward to it. I absolutely loved it. Everybody would make fun of me for it and like said it looked really gross. And after they tried it, they were kind of like, oh yeah, this actually pretty good. But it, and it was so easy too. You know, I'd get the camp, I'd pour some water in it. I'd let it sit for however long I could stand to not eat. And then, but I could do other tasks like set up my tent or filter water or whatever it may be. And then my food would be ready. So you weren't soaking it while, you know, the last hour or whatever of your day, you were, you were doing that once you got into camp. Yeah, because it absorbs so quickly. I started out doing that like I because I didn't know and I started soaking it maybe like an hour before lunch and because I was eating it for lunch in the beginning and then then I realized that I didn't need that much time beforehand and so it was perfect it was really quick um, and easy yeah Hmm. you know I've not heard people using oatmeal but I personally love oatmeal so that sounds like a really nice solution to cold soaking, getting nutrients, getting some fiber, you know, being able to add other things to it, like the protein powder and things like that. Yeah. And like, if I would pack out, like out of town, I maybe would chop up a banana and put it in there, or you can pick blueberries along the trail. And I would put so many of those or like the raspberries or blackberries you pick. I would put so many of those in the oatmeal and it was delicious. Uh, And you can add chocolate chips or you know, whatever you feel like packing out, raisins, your trail mix, you could literally put it in there or granola. Mm-hmm. And it was easy. And I loved it. I think it, it also yeah. helped me get regular yeah. <laughs> on trail. Yeah. And that was really, I mean, you don't want to leave the camp until you've gone. And it was just really helpful to get into a, a groove in that way. So yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. I think it's the greatest thing ever. But then people who don't really have many dietary restrictions can kind of eat whatever they want. So they have way more options that are probably more delicious. Yeah. But Yeah, but from what I've been hearing, you know, people, and I don't have dietary restrictions either, but, but from what I've been hearing, the people without dietary restrictions go hog wild. But for yeah. the most part, people are eating like kindergartners. Like it's... Yeah. It's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. I mean, and I'll admit, I had uh, a little love affair with Fritos by the end of it. And I don't <laughs> know. I, I've never, I haven't had Fritos in years. Also, I haven't had Gatorade in years and I couldn't get enough of that on trails. Huh. It's so bizarre, the cravings that I went through. And I know some of the people I was with went through it as well. You know, like drinking soda and we've never, like haven't had soda in so many years or I can't think of other things right now, but you know, there are these weird cravings that you get. And that's something that I'm really hoping this time around, I'm better able to understand and work through. And like when I'm in town, it doesn't mean I need to eat a whole gluten-free pizza (laughs) because I'm never going to see town again. It means like I can have a salad and like be happy and fuel my body with things at once. So we'll, we'll see. I'm interested to see how it goes, but I'm hopeful. Yeah, (laughs) I'm really hopeful. I could see how being out on the trail for long periods of time and then coming into town, it would feel a little bit like a uh, a starving man coming out of the desert where 
you treat town like it's never going to happen again. And the food that you eat in town is it's never going to happen again. Yeah, it's so sad. Like, we know we're going to get it again. Like, we'll be in town in another four to 10 days. But like, having only consumed, you know, chips and hummus and granola bars, Mm -hmm. you know, the few things and then being so hungry. And normally, like, I can speak for myself when town day was coming around, you would like find this reserved power button where you're (laughs) running into town. Like you are just so excited. So maybe all of that adrenaline also brings up a lot of hunger, but we were monsters when we would get in town. I mean, I towards the end was eating like four scoops of ice cream in a sitting like who am I? I don't know. That's wild to me. And I can't have dairy or sugar. Like, that's crazy. But I did it because I would never see that ice cream again, you know? Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Oh, the memories. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. But but yeah, I, I mean, I could. Do you have a picture of you with your four scoops of ice cream? Oh, you know? What? I might. I might. I definitely have a picture of my friend with her four scoops of ice cream, but <laughs> <laughs> I if there's actually, no documentation, it never happened. I know. I was just gonna say, if it's if I don't have a photo of it, it definitely didn't happen. There was there's some brand oh, and I wanna call it Giffords, but I know that's wrong. But there's some brand of ice cream once you get into Maine. That is the best ice cream I've ever had in my entire life. And I swear in my past days, I was like an ice cream connoisseur. It is so, so good. And they only had it at certain towns. But you would find me like the night before or like maybe two nights before we get into that town, looking through all of the places and making sure that one of them had it. And like, we would go there first. Like that was my priority to get ice cream. It was such a fiend. I don't know. I don't know what is wrong with me. I'm like appalled as I say this out loud. But it just—it was just the moment, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> These are the things that you're meant to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, well, part of the overall experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was fun, and everybody indulged. But I definitely think I take the crown for how many scoops of ice cream I had in a in a month time period. Yeah, you were keeping that company alive. <laughs> yeah. I was. I was the, like stoking the fire there. Yeah, exactly. Do you, Uh, do you look back on your journal entries now and, and remember the adventure, the, the experience? Yeah, it's actually been really therapeutic to go back through journal entries and photos and relive it with trail friends uh, and even strangers getting to tell your favorite stories to people who have never heard them before. It's, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think I definitely love having my journal entries. And I think that's where I captured a lot of specific details and more emotion. But I love so, so much going through my photos, I think, and photos of people too, more than more than grand landscapes. Yeah. And I mean, I love I am so happy that I have some of those, like some of the sunsets and sunrises we saw on trail were just absolutely incredible and I'm glad to have those but what makes my heart all warm and fuzzy way more so is photos of the people that I was hiking with and 
remembering random people too, you know, like the trail angels or the person who gave us this ride or remembering the different trail magic at different gaps and like the, the people, the strangers or the people who were once strangers and now your best friends. That's really cool to get to relive. And it's also interesting how your mentality shifts a bit as, you know, you get your trail legs or as you experience more things and kind of get into a routine and it's not so foreign for you to wake up in the woods day after day. And I think that's cool. You know, you can, I could reading through some of my trail journals and feel the growth that I was experiencing, experiencing Mm -hmm. in a way that it was like, well, when this situation happened and maybe it wasn't so great, I still found a way to make it great. Or now my perspective shifted a little bit where, you know, it's rain, but tomorrow it'll be sunny and things will dry out and it's okay to be wet. Like you're getting through something and you're getting stronger mentally and physically from it. And then also like looking back at some of the things that were going on in my life outside of the trail, just in my home life and getting through that, you know, I had some really difficult days and I, I found a lot of strength and courage in myself, but it was also incredibly beautiful to be able to lean into the people around me and feel so much support and love and you know, I could feel that as well through different uh, writings that I was doing. And that's what I'll cherish forever, you know, mm-hmm. being able to reflect back and remember the people who were there for me through the ups and downs, the people who came through in times of needs. I was walking down the road, it was pouring rain, and my friend wanted to do five more miles that day. And I was a little bit ahead of him, and I was miserable, and I could feel this blister starting to form on my yeah. foot, and it was just, it was brutal. And all of a sudden, this car pulls up next to me, and he asked if I want a ride to the grocery store or a shower or anything, and I was, I looked at him, and I just started crying. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe, are you an angel? Like, where did you come from? And so I convinced my friend to skip those last five miles, and this stranger took us in. He fed us. He and his wife fed us. He let us do like take a shower, do our laundry. And they fed us breakfast in the morning and then took us back to trail. And it's, you know, like, I, I don't think I'd ever forget that, but having pictures and writing about that experience, I can relive that emotion, that joy, and that gratitude that I was feeling in that moment right now. Um, right, and, yeah. it, and it's, special too you know like those are those are really special moments that you want to share with other people and convey how how impactful that experience was yeah you know it and i and distance does kind of burnish things it Mm -hmm. it changes the memory so if you have like in that moment written out like what the feeling was what the impressions were that you're having you don't lose it Absolutely. And also the timing of things. I mean, I'll look back at some some memories and I was like, oh, hot chocolate night was only like 10 <laughs> days or 11 days before we summited. Like, what? That's crazy. Or, you know, we were in town on this day and then the other person was in town on that day. Yeah, that's something that's so fun to do is like look at different points in times of like, oh, on like on May 5th I was here and this person was there and then we crawled paths that didn't know it and then wound up 
right next to each other like four days later just trying to like put into a map of where we all were Mm -hmm. is really hilarious because you know as I said earlier we were trying to catch certain people and little did we know we were like bouncing back and forth like right around each other the whole time yet experiencing such different things um you were circling each other yep (laughs) it's funny how now how were you recording your journal or how were you journaling Yeah, yeah. I started with a physical journal, which I really liked, but it kind of turned into more of a, oh, my friend's going to kill me. So my friend Shred, he's an art teacher, and it's not scrapbooking. It's collaging. And that's like an important thing. It's not scrapbooking. It's collaging. Yes. So we just started every time we were in town, just collaging and you know, putting, grabbing the local outdoor magazine, cutting things out that we were experiencing. And he would watercolor a lot. We would have, or like I had a bunch of friends sign it or, you know, leave a a mountain rule. And that's actually really cool to look back at. And some of the people, it was only, they were only people who I met in passing, yet they still left their little note in my book. And it's fun to relive, you know, it brings you back to the moment where you met them mm-hmm. and what you were doing. But then because I wasn't, I don't know what the trigger was, whether it was the weight or the the act of having to physically write at night. I don't know what got to me first, but I ditched the journal. And partly because the people around me were journaling on their phones, I just started journaling on my phone. And that's how that's how I journaled for the rest of the trail. And that's what I see myself doing uh, on the PCT as well. I think it's just easier. There's lights. So you can do it once it gets dark and it's all in one place. You don't have to worry about it getting wet. So yeah, that'll, I mean, I definitely love the act of writing, but I think that it's, it's just practical for me to have a, a log on my phone. Were you just using like a notes type app or were you using some something specific? I was just using the notes app and then someone jolted a bit of fear in me and was like, what if you just swipe and delete that by accident? <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a great thing. And I don't even know if there's like a delete, like recover option. There, there must be. There must I don't be. Know. I don't know either. But anyway, I hope to start it in another program that's more suitable for day by day tracking. Like it's easier to read through. I did send my, or I did at that point start sending myself my notes via email. So I would just have it in a backup. But at that point, I don't know. I, I haven't found the ultimate thing. Do you have any advice on that? Do you know? What I do you... don't. I was hoping you might. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I might try Google Docs. I just don't know if that saved offline. So right. as long as it saves offline, that's probably my next, my next thing. But we'll, we'll see. Play it by ear. Yeah, I'll follow up if I find something really great. <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the tips I saw on your on your blog was you need less than you think. Mm. And yeah. and a lot of that seemed to be related to like gear or extra weight in your pack. Um, you know, pants, shirts, extras of those kind of things. Was there anything else that you were also finding that you need less than you think. Mm, what do you mean exactly? Okay, this is going to get this is probably going to get really 
what metaphysical, I guess, or, or whatever. <laughs> but I was just thinking, like, you went into it expect thinking that you needed a certain amount of uh, people around you, or you needed a certain amount of, God, I can't even think of like examples of it, but, but something like, what did you learn about yourself? I guess is maybe the better, the better question. What did you learn about yourself through this process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so switching to that second question, I think the, you know, I've spoken to the fact that I'm very competitive. I've spoken to the fact that I'm a go-getter and that even with that, the community aspect of trail has been so important to me. What I've gathered from the, the trail in terms of myself is really to listen to what I want to do and what I believe in and not be afraid to honor myself in that. So I have definitely been and am still getting over being a people pleaser in a lot of ways. If somebody's opinion differed from mine or if somebody believed firmly in something else, I would feel a little insecure about my own opinions and alter my tone of voice or my speech to please them. And I think so prior to the trail, I was traveling for six months and that compounded with the trail really instilled in me a sense of independence and confidence to push forward with my beliefs and my feelings with the concept of being humble and open to listening to other people's opinions and having those good conversations to stir the pot and, you know, learn and expand, but not to belittle myself in hopes to please the people around me. So I think with that, you know, I also learned that I can't please everybody around me. And that might mean that there, there will be people who don't like me. And I know that sounds silly, but it's, it was hard for me to really comprehend that like not everybody is going to be your friend and not everybody has to agree with what you're saying. And that's okay. And mm-hmm. I th- similar to like hike your own hike, it's easy to say that. And when I get in the moment, it, it was harder for me to actually follow through with that. And, you know, I think the first step was for me to realize that and put it into words and actualize it. And then what I was able to do on the AT is put that into a real life situation. So the biggest thing for me was following my heart and listening to myself and, and standing up for myself in a way that allowed me to feel good about, you know, sticking up for what I believe in while also listening and being open to other people's opinions and beliefs. So I, I think that would nice. would be like the biggest lesson. And you had a lot of time to a lot of time to practice that when you're basically <laughs> out on the trail for days and days and days and days and days. Yeah, and coming into contact with a lot of different people. Yep, exactly, exactly. And it's the people from you know all sorts of life and beliefs and opinions. And I, you know, there's a certain level of a you have to be a little bit of this type of human to want to put yourself in a through hike scenario. But from that can stem so many different walks of life. And that's what was in part so beautiful to experience and meet and be open to. And at the same time, practice that art of, hey, stand up for yourself, you know, follow, like have your opinions, don't be afraid to show them, but be open to listening to what other people have to say too, and be humble enough to allow your opinions to change. Yeah. Oh, the, the eternal human condition. 
Uh, it's so interesting. It, you know, you have those really good talks that you just like froth over with the people that you're around and the people that start to get to know you. And one person asks the question and you're like, whoa, like I never thought about that. And I love um, Peaches for she, I think she has the coolest mentality and mindset about life. And she always asks those really interesting questions that get you going and, um, you know, spark even more intense conversations. And I, and I love that about the community out there because we're all in the same situation, walking and thinking about life and the light and the heavy stuff while we're out there. And it's cool yeah. to get to talk about it and hear how other people are processing it or, you know, what, what they're going through overall. Cause we all have our, we all have our stuff, you know, it's nobody's just cruising and it's nice to be able to open up and be relatable and, feel safe being vulnerable because we're all going through it. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, or seems to be that people don't just happen to land on one of these trails and start hiking. There's usually mm. reasons for that. And those reasons are things that are challenging and difficult for people to grasp or to wrestle with, which leads them to go out on the trail for these long hikes. So you know, even if you're looking at somebody who appears to have it all together, they probably don't. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's very well put. Not that that doesn't generally happen in real life as well, but on the trail, I think it's magnified. <laughs> yeah. I think it's this little like micro community of that, you know, it's, you're putting all those people in the one spot, whereas here we're kind of scattered. Yeah, exactly. Again, I'm going to reference your, your blog because there's yeah. so many great little nuggets on that little blog <laughs> on the trek. But anyway, to go back to one of the, the, or to circle back to one of the things where, you know, I make trying to make it a point of kind of getting people's, you know, sleeping things and stuff like that. One of the things you mentioned in your tips was bag liner. And you're the first person I've heard mention this, but it sounds brilliant, actually. You know, it's, so funny you say this because I read somebody else's blog recently and they were like, you don't need a bag liner. And I'm over here second guessing my favorite piece of equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need it? I don't know. And so I loved this. I loved my bag liner so much. I think I, I was definitely a more clean through hiker in the sense of like, I would go rinse my legs off at night if I could, or like soak my foot in the cold water. Or I had this peppermint oil because part, because I was, that was the other one that I wanted to touch base with you on. (laughs) Oh, I actually made up an Instagram post today saying I'm like smiling. There's a photo of me smiling in a shelter. And I was like, this is not even close to real life. Like it was, it must've been a rare moment because, I'm probably about to be petrified that mice and spiders and bugs mm-hmm. are going to be all over me. But yeah. So anyway, I like to be clean. I tried to be, you know, as, as much as I could be, but this bag liner gave me that almost like, I don't care mentality because I could get this dirty and then wash it the next time I was in town. Your my sleeping bag still smells new because it's just, it, it never really touched my dirty body. Right. And so I loved it for that. It was an extra like sheet layer too. So I wasn't sticking to my sleeping bag, which I hate that feeling. So for me, it was a really great mid layer. And I also wasn't sleeping in the warmest clothes. I had like Buddha pants on. I don't know. I think that's or elephant pants, whatever. And 
just like some long sleeve comfy t-shirt. So I didn't have base layers. And so that was a great added bit of warmth for me. I think mine was 10 degrees. Maybe it was what 20 was your degrees. Bag? My bag was an REI Jewel 30 degree bag, women's bag. And I okay. loved it. I actually, I want to, I'm like a, an aspiring ultralight jerk. But I like, it, it, I'm not really committed. I like want to be, but I, it's like a struggle for me. And I love the sleeping bag so much. And, you know, I've been told to switch over to a quilt. Like that's a really quick way to save some weight. But the fact that my head wouldn't be protected from these mice and bugs is just like a hard no for me. So mm-hmm. anyway, this, my, the mag was great. I absolutely loved it. I switched out for, maybe the whole month of July, at least part of it, where I used a 55 degree bag. And I didn't need to do that. But I, you know, in my beginner hiking phase, I just thought it was the thing to do. Um, But I don't think I would do it again moving forward. I'd probably just not use the liner or open up my bag. Yeah, I I would. uh, I, I, I so am. You're hearing it firsthand. I maybe the AT it's more of a priority because you're so humid and sticky and maybe I'll be a little bit more dry on the yeah <laughs> I don't know I it's honestly, dry dirt versus wet dirt it's it'll be better <laughs> oh I don't know I, I'll probably because the person whose blog I just read she hikes the PCT and that's why I wish I could remember who it was, but she definitely was like bashing the liner and it, or not bashing it, but saying it's a quick piece of gear to drop to lose weight and bulk. So I I think I'll start with it. I was going to say, so you start with it in the desert and you get to, you know, Kennedy Meadows or whatever and make a decision at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, you know, and I think that's something I learned too on the trail. You can always send stuff back. You can always get more stuff. It's not that big of a deal. Like you don't have to have everything set once you hit the trail. And I mean, for me, I sent home my whole brain and like 10 pounds of gear, the, and in Parisburg, I think it was. So like, I mean, I'm, I know that it's easy to, you know, think you're starting perfect and you know, you've done it all, you know, everything. And you know, I don't, so it's, I'm okay to, to learn and figure it out as I go. I don't think that there is literally one person that I have talked to, whether they are a newbie through hiker or working on the third part of their, their triple crown who hasn't mispacked or overpacked for the particular trail that, trail that they are stepping onto and had to switch things out or send things home or pick up different things. Like it's, yeah, it's across the board, no matter how experienced you are, it changes. Yeah, absolutely. And there are just so many great options out there, so many options in general. And as you get deeper into the hiking community, you're hearing what other people are using. And to be so honest with you, like, it actually causes a lot of anxiety for me. And I've, luckily, I have a couple friends who remind me that, you know, you hike the AT with an Osprey 50 liter with, you know, it started at like, 30 pounds and it went down to like 20 pounds but still like you know you 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 through hiked with this gear you can do it again you only have better gear now like mm-hmm. the people it's very humbling to see the pictures at least along the AT of the people who were doing this hike years and years ago with these large heavy packs and you know you can do it with anything yep. you're 
you know, any gear will get you to the place you want to be if you have enough like willpower and strength mentally and physically to get there. So, you know, I try to remove myself from it, but I definitely, <laughs> it's like, it's so hard, you know, you get so caught up in it and all, you know, I have friends who just love to talk about gear and, and I do as well. And, and I want the next coolest thing, or I want to be in that sweet tent that only weighs 11 ounces and it stands alone and, you know, all these cool things, but it's just come back to this reality of you're going to be fine with what you have already it's okay and there's like this line that I need to draw of like you have the gear you need calm down maybe next go around you can get some different things or try it out but you know it's yeah. it's hard there's just a lot of a lot of options and a lot of opinions and it's you know what I came back to like standing true to what I need what works best for me and Mm-hmm. You know, the shoes that might be the cool ones aren't the ones that work for my feet. And, you know, the shoes that might fit this person really well just don't fit me really well. And that's okay. Like, we all have different bodies. We all have different mentalities. Different things get us different places. And, you know, just coming back to that is really helpful. Yes, but so difficult. <laughs> so difficult. So do I take the bag liner or not? I don't know. <laughs> you know what my vote is, but yeah, you have to be okay with your vote. <laughs> I think it's a decision I'll make like the eve of May 3rd. Do I keep mm-hmm. it? Do I not? No, I think it'll, it'll come with me and then maybe find a new home eventually. But That's what hybrid boxes are for too. Exactly. Yep. Somebody else will love it if you don't. <laughs> I know, I know. Everybody's going to love it. It's great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I also saw the the Neo Air, which is I think what you were using for your pad. No, I had yes, I was, yes. But you were talking about how loud it is. Are you changing that mm-hmm. out this time or are you just gonna live with how loud it is? Uh, that's another good question. You're getting me caught up in all my gear anxieties. Oh, no. I'm so <laughs> no, sorry. I'm no, it's great. I There's a new Thermarest pad that came out that I would love to try because it was so comfortable, but it was so loud. And I know that I always felt badly rolling around and it being loud. And it woke me up. I know it woke other people up. So ideally I'd find another mattress pad. And a lot of people were recommending, I believe it was the Nemo brand. And I tried it out the other day and it's comfortable and it's great. The only, I was going to say, but there's a butt there somewhere. <laughs> the only reason I would proceed with caution is because my friend, the only person I know who was using it on trail, I think the only person got a hole in it. And mm like right away. So I don't know how durable it is. And if we're going to be cowboy camping a bunch on trail, which that's a whole nother conversation, but then I know what's going there. (laughs) Then I don't know if I want something that easily pops, but I don't know. I I could go either way. Again, I think it's, I'd be happy with either of them. Mm -hmm. It's just committing to a, to a mattress pad or a sleeping pad and moving forward. Right. Well, and and in this case, you're not working, you're not having to deal with shelters where a lot of people are pushed in together. So there is the, you know, there's less people to hear you roll around. 
that's so true. That's a good point. Yeah. Nature will drown out a little bit of the sound. Yeah. I, I mean, cause it's so, it's so, it was so comfortable. It was great. It lasted me the entire trail. So, you know, why switch when something's working really well for you, except to create a little less noise, which I really do. I have a strong belief that there should be a sound rating for sleeping pads. I just, <laughs> I mean, you, there's something you want to know and you don't really think about until you're out there and sure. everybody is just like a Pop-Tart wrapper moving around. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, now, yeah. what were you using for a tent out there? Did you? I started with, a one person big Agnes and it was like the front entry. Oh, I should know the name of this. I don't know the name of it. And then what did you end up with? Yeah, I switched over halfway through. So my friend Big Money, she had a Nemo two person tent and I like slept in that one night. I think we switched tents or we both just slept in there and it was fantastic how much space there was. And so I got one of those and I loved it. I think I had this like a little bit of a scarring experience in the Shenandoahs where it just rained for three days and everything was soaking wet and it was kind of busy. So the shelter space was full most of the night, especially by the last night when it was just like so, so wet. And my tent was wet, my sleeping bag was wet, my pack was wet, all my clothing was wet, nothing was drying. It wasn't going to be sunny the next day. I was just like miserable. The trail was a, a river. Like it was just wet, <laughs> everything. Like typical Appalachian Trail wet. And at that point, I was like, I don't want a one person. Like I want to be able to like move around in my sleeping mm-hmm. bag and not be soaking wet and like touch the wall and then the water just drip in and it'd be so nice if I could put my pack inside and it not be soaking wet on top of me. And I think after that, I was like, okay, what do I need to do? And it was only a few more ounces and it was so much more space. And I absolutely loved it. It was a game changer for me. And you said that's the Nemo. It was the Nemo too. I don't know if there's um, an actual name for it, but yeah, the Nemo two person bright green tent. It was great. And this year I was initially hoping to get a freestanding tent and my, I was talking to the few people that I'm hiking with getting, you know, their gear advice. And my one friend professor, he used the one Gossamer gear, the one last year. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have for this year. And it is a one person tent, but I'm like so, so excited to try it out. It's huge. It's not freestanding, but it's huge and it should be really great. I just love how light it is. It works with your trekking poles, which is fantastic. And it should be really awesome. So the Gossamer gear, the ones that I'm going with, this, the other tent that's on my mind is the Big Agnes. They just came out with this like 11 ounce freestanding tent, but I don't know. If, if that's actually on the menu or not, but it's something I'm dreaming up. But you're not going to do the Nemo. You're not going to bring the Nemo back out. I'm not bringing the Nemo back out. You had mentioned, and you sort of mentioned it previously, the peppermint oil. And I'm going to add to that the CBD. What was that? Where was that? Tell me about that. Yes. Yeah. So I loved the 
I loved it all. Uh, the peppermint <laughs> oil was with me since the beginning. It it was my like shield against mice because someone along the trail was like, yeah, mice don't like peppermint oil. So just put that in like the corners of your tent or like on your mattress pad or on you and they won't get you. And, you know, whether it's true or not, I'm going to believe it's true. And that protected me the whole trail from the mice. And <laughs> it was like the only reason I could sleep in shelter is I have such a fear. I don't know what it is. It just like really freaks me out. Ugh. It like it makes me sweat a little bit thinking about it. Um, so yeah, so it was great for the protection against mice, but also when it was really hot and humid, I would I would sleep naked and I would just like put the peppermint oil all over me, and for like three minutes I would be so cold, and I would like pray within that window I could just fall asleep. Yeah. And then the last thing I used it for was. As like an icy hot type thing where it was really cold and I would mix it with the CBD salve that I had and rub it all over my foot because my foot was in so, so, so much pain. And every night I would massage it with the CBD and the peppermint oil. And I would sometimes do my knee as well. And I, it felt so good just to have a sense of relief for a short while and I think it helped. I would also elevate my feet at night, and I think that helped with the inflammation. But yeah. it helped keep the joint pain down, and it helped increase the circulation. I think massaging my foot every night really helped get the blood flow going. And, it, you know, again, mental or not, it was what helped get me through the night of discomfort and mm-hmm. kind of like tossing and turning because of the pain around my body or in my foot. So I will definitely have the peppermint oil on trail. I loved it. It's like my luxury item. And I also, you know, depending upon how my aches and pains go, you know, bring the CBD salve. My sister was making it um, out in Colorado at one of the companies that she was working for and she would, she would get it to me. So I don't have, she's actually since moved to Australia. So I don't have that connection anymore but i will well, that's inconvenient you know, i know i told her she could wait a little bit but no. <laughs> yeah so that those two things were definitely really great luxury items for sure but they they felt good and they did a lot for me so mm-hmm. i kept them around the whole trail what were you using for shoes mm-hmm. in relation to mm-hmm. the everything yeah. else that was happening with your feet <laughs> I started in the ultra lone peaks and I, you know, reading you, I read a bunch of different blogs and stuff. Yeah. Right. And it's, it was all the rage. And I went to outdoor retailer and they were like, yeah, we're about to be the number one company and they're great shoes for certain people. Like they just didn't work for my foot. They weren't supportive enough for me. And I do walk around in converse and van so I've you know have been rehearsed in the zero drop shoes before but for some reason it just wasn't the right the right fit for my foot and I was in I was about due for a new pair of shoes anyway and in Parisburg I had okay so my foot was hurting and I was trying to figure out what to do to fix it and the easiest and most obvious thing was my shoe like change the shoe that you're in and so I went back to the shoes that I had been 
hiking in before the trail, like in my everyday life. And that was a pair of low um, keens. They were the, uh, it starts with a T. Gosh, I'm just realizing how bad I am with your name. There were like keen tarhees or something like that. Anyway, I love, love, loved them. And they were so supportive and they felt really good, especially when I was cruising through Pennsylvania and all of the like really pointy rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice to have a pair of hiking boots versus trail runners just for that extra support. Um, and the only downside to those was just because there was so much material and they were thick and sturdy, they took a lot longer to dry. So I found that I was hiking with wet feet a little bit more often than I needed to be. Um, but with that being said, I mean, they were fantastic and I absolutely loved them. And I got to Rutland and that's when I was ready, Rutland, Vermont, and I was ready for my third pair of shoes. And I really wanted to try the ultras again. I don't know why, like, honestly, I can't even, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, (laughs) I don't know. I like, I have no idea why I was so determined to make them work, but I was, and I had a pair of ships to me. And they ended up being too small because my foot had just grown so much. And my foot grew a size and a half on wow. trail. And it's still that big. Like it's, I just, <laughs> I'm a, kind of blown away. But yeah, so I got to Rutland. Did they get and, flatter at all? Uh, or just? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Okay. You have a very muscular foot. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. I don't know. I just have a long foot, um, long wide foot. I, so anyway, in Rutland, there's only the one outdoor store. And so I went there and, and I was staying at the yellow deli. So I had all this hilarious mix match clothing on and I'm going into town on the bus and they tell me that they only have one shoe in my size and it's the Solomon um, pro shoes. And I was nervous at first, you know, there's it's the pole, the pulley thing, not the mm-hmm. actual strings. Um, it was a men's shoe. My foot had grown so much I needed to go into a men's shoe and I never worn them before. I don't know. I was just a little nervous. But they ended up working really, really well. I absolutely loved them. The only complaint I had was that I wish the tread was a little bit more intense. I'm just like a naturally clumsy person. So any extra bit really, really helped. Right. But yeah, they ended up lasting until the end of the trail. I wore them for the next month when I got home and I was farming. Um, they're just an overall really great shoe. They're what I'm starting in this go around. And I am I'm pretty committed to them. They're sturdy enough that they support my foot in the places that have hurt me in the past. They're, I fell in love with that quick tying system. Right, it's really yeah. easy to make micro adjustments with it. And and they stay tight? Because that's the other thing that I've found a lot of times is that they start to loosen up throughout the day. Interesting. I don't know that I've experienced that okay. or... Because I was just going to say I would loosen them up throughout the day because my foot would swell. So maybe I just didn't notice it because my foot was going through different bounces of being swollen. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't personally find them getting looser with the day. But 
Yeah, they were they were great. I loved them so much. My feet look ginormous in them, but it's just, you know, par for the through hiking course. The clown feet. Uh, most definitely. Somebody was like, you could ski with those. I'm like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> I, know, I know that I think feet are probably the thing that I am most concerned about because I am... I am not a princess about about a lot of things. I mean, I've been bumped and bruised and I've played sports my entire life, but my feet, I am completely a princess about my feet. Uh, so it's going to really? be interesting. <laughs> that was like the one thing that I just had to stop caring about. I did have nail polish on them at first because I think, <laughs> I don't know like what I went to some event or oh, maybe it was halfway through because I went to that wedding. I had nail polish on them and it like just started to chip off and I had that toenail falling off there's a gruesome video out there of it i'm just like pulling it back and there are like Ah. four layers under it it's so gross yeah and just like the calluses and i didn't really get too many blisters but yeah your feet take a nice little little whooping from that trail yeah i'm i'm less concerned about the calluses and stuff i'm more concerned about the foot pain oh i you know i i was talking to i guess it would be neil and he was talking about being doing the CDT and and walking for 800 miles on, you know, in pain with his feet. And I'm like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's crazy to think about how long I was in pain with my foot hiking and how like now it feels like nothing. You know, you you reflect on mm-hmm. it and it's easy to forget how hard it actually was in the moment, but. Yeah, it's brutal. And I mean, you're waking up every day. And I remember for the first half hour or so, sometimes longer, I would have to walk on a weird part of my foot, which is probably why I kept getting injured. But because it hurts so badly to just walk flat footed. And so I would walk on the outside and that altered gait, I'm sure is what, you know, triggered other things. But yeah, ibuprofen and, and those types of supplements (laughs) were my best friends friends, but they also like tore my stomach apart and I there were a few times in town when I ate food probably too much food but I ate food and I would get so nauseous after because my body just wasn't ready to process all of that but you know it's like I said I hope to learn from that experience and take it a little bit slower and take a few more breaks if my body's asking for it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk in September, October when you finish the trial <laughs> and see how that yes. went. Hold me accountable for all the things I've said. <laughs> exactly. We, we now have documented proof that you've said them. Oh man. Oh goodness. Yeah, definitely. What was your best day or best experience on trail? Oh, that's a hard question. I can't answer that. I can give you like one of my favorite memories, but that's, gosh, that's such a hard question. It was a bittersweet day. Uh, My friend Shred was getting off trail. So we hiked maybe like three miles in the morning or so to get to, well, to the start of the day, we woke up at the, not Lake of the Clouds, Lonesome Lake Hut. And we were calm to stay there because somebody bought seven extra beds and just the people never showed up. So he offered them to through hikers. And so myself and this, oh my gosh, it was amazing. Uh, Myself and the three people I was hiking with, we all got to stay in a room together. 
and we had food. We slept in a bed. We woke up and saw the Franconia Notch, uh, the ridge, and um, like where we would be hiking the next day. And so we wake up. We got on the on our way. I think there's only three miles left. We get into town, and Shred's mom and grandmother meet us and we all have lunch in town and then I say goodbye to my best friend and that was like a very pivotal moment for me I it's the person I started the trail with thought I would finish the trail with but he's getting off and now I'm for the first time in a way like on my own I don't have anybody that I know from the beginning I have these two girls and you know we're going to finish the trail together and it was such a different experience immediately. Like there was this sense of sadness inside of me paralleled with this sense of like pure excitement of this new adventure. And like, I'm on my own and I don't have to like hold on to any bits of my past or any bits of home on this trail because, uh, you know, the person I knew from then isn't here anymore. And it was this like interesting sigh of, letting go of the sadness and homesickness I suddenly felt because he was gone and like letting go of the sense of needing to also hold on to any bits of the past, like any, any parts of me that are no longer true. And so we hike on and it's this brutal climb and it's pretty hot. Like it's this, it's later in the afternoon. We had also all ducked our faces at lunch. And so we're kind of lethargic, kind of full, little hot, little tired. And now we're just hiking on and we get to the top and it is just breathtaking. The friend I was with, one of the friends I was with, Puff had hiked the, in New Zealand, the trail in New Zealand. And she said that this part of it really reminded her of that trail in New Zealand. And it was really cool to finally be at a significant elevation and just seeing this view of beautiful mountains all around us and we get up Mm -hmm. there and we get to have this spectacular spectacular sunset together and it was it was the first of a few really 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 incredible sunsets that we had on trail and I'm sitting there with these two girls next to me feeling just this like powerhouse of a unit where you know it's for the first time it's just the ladies and we're feeling really good about ourselves feeling really strong and empowered and to top it all off we're sitting on top of this finally cool you know like we're in our puppies we're loving that we're in our puppies mountain watching this incredible sunset just looking at mount washington in the distance knowing that like this is where we're headed together mm-hmm. and like this yeah. is the next chapter of the journey so that is probably one of my, you know, when I think of my favorite nights at the least on trail, like that is one of them. But there are so many good memories. That's, that's a hard question. <laughs> it's hard to pick the best. Uh, it is. But that, that, that's, a, that's a top one. That's for sure. A really great one. Nice. Yeah. I hate, to, I hate to follow that with the question of what was your least favorite or worst experience on the trail, but. <laughs> uh, well. And I almost feel like that's easier to answer because there are like two really crappy times on trail that stand out to me. The first being the Shenandoah's experience of just being in rain on rain on rain Mm -hmm. and having to get through that. I think that was probably the most mentally tough moment. The 
scariest moment, the one that I'm really glad I'm here to tell you about, is the night where a bear visited our campsite. And we were, yeah, we were in the Shenandoahs. That could be a lie. No, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we were in the Shenandoahs. And some of us stayed up. There was like a 0.7 mile hike down to get to the shelter. And we stopped at that 0.7 miles early to watch the sunset from this beautiful outlook. And we watched it and then we go down and the campsite's pretty full. There are only like maybe four spots next to each other and next to each other. I mean like on top of each other. And there also happened to be right next to the bear bag line. And Hmm. there were a ton of spots in the shelter. I don't know why we were all so stubborn to go in there. Maybe there were bugs or we just wanted to be in our tent. I don't know. I'm the tent person anyway, so that's probably my excuse. But yeah, so we get into our tent and we wanted to see the sunrise the next morning. I don't, maybe we saw an outlook or it was our last few nights on trail together because at Harper's Ferry, we were all kind of going our own ways. So we decided we would wake up at 4.30 and get on the trail and start hiking to go see the sunrise. And at 3.30 in the morning, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you hear like this big crack and then like a, like a crash to the ground. And then you hear the most terrifying bear grunts, like five of them in a row. And I like my heart kind of races as I tell the story. I'm, I sit up immediately because I'm the paranoid person of the, the trail who's like, did you guys hear that? Like, did you hear that? <laughs> anything that moves in the night. And so I sit up and to my right are the other tents and I see a light go on. And then I see, like, I hear somebody else sit up and it's Professor and Otis. And I, I think Otis has his headlight up, headlamp on. Maybe it's Professor. I don't know. And I'm like, did you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah, what is it? I'm like, I think it's a bear. And then it's quiet for a second. And I'm like, should you have your headlamp on? And he's like, uh, I don't know. And he turns it off. And I'm like, do you hear it? Like, is it still here? Should we get out of our tent? Should we lay down? And I remember I immediately like lay flat. And I like put my mattress pad on top of me as if that's going to protect me. But I am just so terrified. And moments later, you can like hear it walking away. And at that time, we didn't truly know that those were bear grunts. But the following day, at one of the waysides, there it was pouring rain, and so this this ranger was giving a presentation on bears, <laughs> and we all like huddled under this little canopy area and watched her presentation. And she's like, "Yeah," and then a bear gets very angry and agitated. It makes these loud huffing sounds like this, and proceeded to make the exact sound we all heard the night before. Oh my gosh, Erin, I tell you what, it was terrifying. Like that night was, I don't think I went back to bed. It was just so scary to have a bear so close to you and know that you're so close to food and like, you're kind yeah. of like holding this bear in an area because your tents are everywhere. <sighs> so did it, yep. did it get the bear bags down or did it get the food, the food bags down or? No. So what I think happened is there was a tree 
kind of right next or maybe like 15 feet away from the bear bag and maybe one of the branches he was trying to shimmy out onto and get the bag. Mm. And then he proceeded to fall from the tree. It doesn't sound like a very bear-like thing to do, but from my tent, that's exactly what it <laughs> what sounded like. Happened. So, yeah, that's what I, I'm going to go with. Well, lucky, 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 lucky. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. It's those nights where you're like, I really hope that I cleaned all the wrappers out of my head belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and on and on the PCT, you're gonna have bear canister and the whole bit for the Sierras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that'll be an interesting unit to carry. Yeah, no, it will be. But that also harkens back to like your your Zen for cowboy camping and all the <laughs> the bugs that come with it. Oh, I am just like such a little wuss when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't love the thought of a scorpion like crawling into my sleeping bag or like a mouse running across me. That stuff just freaks me out. And I have, like I've talked to somebody else who said that she was really scared to cowboy camp and then she started doing it and then it just became second nature. So I'm like totally hoping that that's how it works for me. And the two girls that I'm starting with, I was like, guys, I know this is annoying, but I, just would really appreciate it if you let me sleep in between you guys for the first few <laughs> nights <laughs> until I get my bearings. And they're like super agreeable. It's art. You just laugh at my face, honestly, but it'll be, it'll be an experience for sure. Uh, like Absolutely. the one person who used to wake up because the people I was hiking with would wear earbuds to block out the noise. Except for this one girl, Puff, and every, I swear it's embarrassing to recount how many times I would sit up and be like, oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Puff, Puff, are you awake? Like, did you hear that? She wrote me today. She's like, you know, I don't know what you're going to do on the TCP, but I'm not there to wake up at every single time. You know, you're scared that there's something out there. It's like, uh, well, if I'm cowboy camping, I guess I just sit up and look around. True. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're we're kind of coming to the end, and I know I think you have some place you need to be, so or something you need to do. So I wanted to kind of just ask: Is there anything you feel like we haven't touched base on, or haven't talked about that we should have? I guess the only other thing I'd love to talk about is the uh, nonprofit that I'm working with for the PCT hike. Do we have time to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Yeah, so I knew when I was on the AT how motivating it was to have a second reason beyond myself to be hiking. And I wanted to be able to use my time on the trail, kind of living my dream to help give back in some way. And I met this really cool couple last year, the lady and the tramp who are hiking for this nonprofit called Hike for Mental Health. And I personally have struggled a lot with anxiety and depression over the past few years. And I think it's been intensified by Lyme. And I know through different things, especially getting out in nature, it's really forced me to check in on myself and be honest with myself and work through some of those um, dark times. But also, I find that getting outside and back to nature really helps stimulate me in a positive way and alleviate some of that stress just by, you know, literally getting back to nature. And feeling rooted and, you know, being un- under the trees and in the dirt. Yeah. And so 
this nonprofit totally aligned with me as well. And I decided to team up with them. And so as I hike the PCT, I'm trying to raise $5,000 to um, go towards hike for mental health. And uh, to give you a background on them, 80% of their profits go towards mental health research. And then the other 20% goes to the parks that we hike in. And that to me is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. So it'll be really exciting, you know, when times get tough or something gets a little challenging to go beyond myself and be like, you know, you're hiking for this cause and for all the people who could really use support. So there's a bigger purpose. Yeah, exactly. And that helps motivate me. I know we're all motivated by different things, but personally, that really helps, you know, get me to the next mountain. Yeah. Well, and I think everybody acknowledges that every day on the trail is not rosy. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are definitely things that are needed to motivate beyond, you know, into taking the next step in terms of leaving town and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Particularly as absolutely. you get further and further north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, um, that's, I think the last little bit that I'm nice. really excited about and, eager to share. That is a wonderful and very personal uh, mm-hmm. charity and reason to hike. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Where can people find you if they want to ask you other questions or follow up with you further? Yeah, absolutely. I am blogging for the Trek. So you can find my words in the articles mentioned on this um, podcast yeah. over on the Trek. And I also have my own website. It's com. And the last place is over on Instagram where I try to keep it real and post pretty often about the shenanigans that are going on in my life. And it'll, it'll be the most real time journal of the trail as I hike. And that's at Devin Everett Yoga. So you'll be posting as you hike, like as you get connection and pictures and adventures and that kind of stuff. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I hope to post pretty frequently. I, you know, on the AT, you have pretty great service with Verizon, and I was able to keep in touch every, every day at some point we would have service. Maybe there were one or two days where we went without it. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be blogging and hopefully blogging for the trek and um, keeping the Instagram up to date. Nice. Yeah. So people can follow the continuing adventures. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> you had mentioned that Puff or Puffs had done the TA in New Zealand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is is she American or is she Australian or New Zealand? She's from England. She is one of the most England. badass humans I've ever met. She through hiked the PCT twice. She through, went. She did it once and then knew she wanted to do. I forgot if it was cycle through Australia or hike the TA. And then she had this like gap of time where she was like, Oh, I'm kind of bored. I guess I'll just hike the PCT again. And so she hiked the PCT again. She cycled vertically through Australia. She cycled through Indonesia. She's hiked the TA and get this as if those aren't badass enough feet. She's now going to row across the Indian and Atlantic ocean in one year. She's wild. Wow. She's wild. Yep. Yep. 
Jesus, she is hardcore. I love it. <laughs> no, and she's never done any of this before. Like she never threw hikes before. She never cycled before. She's never rowed before. Well, she's done one rowing experience, but you know, no experience prior to that. So she just goes for it and is the epitome of like, if you put your mind to it, you can get it done. Yeah. No fear. No fear. She's crazy. She's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Totally and absolutely appreciate you reaching out and, and coming on and, and talking about your experiences on the AT mm-hmm. and, and how you're kind of going to do maybe a few things differently on the PCT. Yes, absolutely. It's fun to talk about trail and the, the ups and the downs and hear other people's opinions. And, you know, thanks for having me. It's been fun. notes and links for Devin's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Devin for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.